Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Naked and Inside Out. It's Janine Toro here. We're an LGBT podcast highlighting people in the community doing some incredible things with their lives and careers. And we're here to share these uh, inspiring stories with you, our listeners. So today's guest is Lisa Congdon. I'm really excited to have Lisa on the show today. Welcome, Lisa. It's so great to be with you, Janine. So a little bit about Lisa for those of you that may not be um, as familiar. Lisa is a fine artist and illustrator best known for her colorful abstract paintings, intricate line drawings, pattern design, and hand lettering. She works for clients around the world, including MoMA, Harvard University, Martha Stewart Living, Chronicle Books, The Land of Nod, Simon & Schuster, and Cloud9 Fabrics. Among many others, that was a mouthful right there in itself. <laughs> um, she exhibits her work around the country, including shows at the Contemporary Jewish Museum and Bedford Gallery. A selection of her abstract works are currently available through New York's Uprise Gallery. Lisa writes a popular daily blog about her work, life, and inspiration called Today is Going to be Awesome. She is an author of six books, including... The Starving Artist Myths Smashing Art, Inc., The Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist, and illustrated books, The Joy of Swimming, Fortune Favors, The Brave, Whatever You Are, Be a Good One, 20 Ways to Draw a Tulip, and a Collection a Day. Whoo! This is a lot of info. <laughs> she was named one of 40 women over 40 to watch in 2015. She lives and works in Portland, Oregon. Lisa, welcome again. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I find that a lot of people um, that I interview, especially in the design art world, we wear many, many hats, right? Yes. Um, so do you want to talk about a little bit about your background and kind of how this all began? Well, I actually didn't pick up a paintbrush until I was about... 31 or 32 years old. I, it's vague in my memory which year it was exactly. So this is sort of a second, well, definitely, it's not even sort of a second career. It is a second career for me being an artist and an illustrator. And so originally I, I worked in the nonprofit world in education. First I was a teacher and then I went on to work in, at a pretty large education nonprofit in San Francisco and then on to another one. And during that time, I was in my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. I was sort of looking for something to inspire me outside of work. I loved my job. I loved my colleagues. I loved the work that I was doing. But I felt like I needed a little a little something else in my life, like something was missing. And I yeah. couldn't quite figure out what it was. And so I was experimenting with all kinds of things like sewing and cooking and you know, drawing and painting and gardening and like all kinds of creative endeavors and did a lot of them for a while because as my art career has borne out, it's really hard for me to just do one thing. And ultimately it took like seven years, but ultimately that, you know, that education career was trumped by what started as a hobby, which was the painting and drawing hobby. And then slowly over time became the painting and drawing sort of part-time career, having little shows in small shops and galleries in San Francisco to now, you know, 16 years later, 17 years later, a full-blown art and illustration career. And as you mentioned, you know, bookmaking career. So, um, you know, that all took place over almost, you know, two decades now, but... 
it started as a hobby and just like trying to sort of figure out, you know, what made me want to get out of bed in the morning, um, thinking whatever it is I do, I'll still keep my job and then do that thing on the side. And then of course, you know, I ended (laughs) up doing that thing as a job eventually. So that's interesting. I actually had no idea that you had a like prior career and didn't pick up a paintbrush till like your early thirties. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that I end up, that I talk about a lot now, but a lot of people don't know that they, they probably assume, you know, I'm 48 years old. So they assume I've been doing this since I was 22, but I actually have only been drawing and painting professionally for 10 years. So I started around 2006 to, to like, I had, I didn't leave my job until 2007, but you know, it was a hobby for a few years. And then over, you know, the course of a couple more years, I started getting commissions. I I was like an early adopter of Flickr, which, which was like 10 years ago, the visual social media place for photographers and artists and makers and DIYers. And, um, that's where I started like showing pictures of what I was making with no intention to sell it. It was more like, look what I made today, you know? Yeah. And I made friends there and got some attention there. And then this thing that was sort of a, a hobby or even you could even classify it as like a, a personal growth experience ended up, yeah. uh, you know, getting attention. And my work was very different then than it is now, but it was like, that's sort of where the seeds of my career started. Um, back in the day. Well, one, it's really interesting that you use Flickr to like post artwork. Cause it's funny. Like when I, all I've ever seen on Flickr, believe it or not, is photos. Like, you know, well, I think mostly now that's what people use it for. And mostly before that's what people use it for. But like I was posting photos of my artwork, of course. Um, and the stuff I was making and, um, and it turns out there was a whole community of people who were also yeah, like, exactly. makers yeah. on there who, you know, I mean, half my friends I met on Flickr 10 years ago. So crazy. And now none of us use Flickr anymore. We're I all, know. <laughs> we're all on Instagram. So. See, that's, you know, and it's funny that you say that because I discovered you through Instagram. That's how I first discovered you. Yeah. And, you know, you you know, I think you have a pretty large following, like, and I love just seeing, like, all the different posts, like, your new studio and, like, you know, whatever piece that you're working on and, you know, or, like, different contests that you're running. You know, how did that all evolve? Like, you know, did you just start, you know, kind of posting one day similar to the Flickr experience? I feel like you were treating the Flickr almost like a blog, too, right? So it's like, you know, sharing these, like, daily inspirations of what you're doing with people. You know, did that evolve over time or is that something how you kind of, like, started it, like you said, with the Flickr? Do you think, like, the Instagram kind of followed that same pattern? Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, 10 years ago, my work looked different. Flickr is a very different kind of platform than Instagram is. But in a way, the core of it is essentially the same. It was a platform where you could post pictures of your studio, what you were making, your vacation, your kids, whatever. Yeah. You know, and then people could comment. And I don't think there was likes. I can't remember if it was just, I don't know. I've been so long since I've been on Flickr. I can't even... I don't even remember (laughs) exactly what the like response mechanisms were, but it was like the first place where you could sort of get feedback or, you know, build relationships with people. 
And, um, so yeah, that's how it started. And in a way what it's not, it wasn't that dissimilar to what I do now, except that the pictures look different. They weren't as good because the more pictures (laughs) you take of your studio and work, the better they get. And plus photography, you know, digital photography is like way more advanced than it was 10 years ago. Absolutely. And I was just starting out at the time, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I I didn't have a huge following. Um, But essentially, it was the same idea as what I do now on Instagram. Um, I was probably sharing a lot more personal stuff then because no one was paying attention. And now I have 112,000. By the time this airs, probably even more followers on Instagram. And so, you know, I I pay more attention to what I post and don't post. I'm, I'm much more serious about it because more people are paying attention and my privacy, um, matters to me a lot more than it did when I had like 25 friends on Flickr. So, <laughs> uh, so it's, a, so it's a little different in that way. I'm, I'm much more judicious, but, um, but it's essentially the same idea. And so I think I was on Flickr from say 2004, pretty active from 2004 to 2011. And then around that time, there was probably a time when I wasn't on any sort of like visual social media except for Facebook. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I might not have even had a Facebook fan page for my art practice. But um, and then I, as soon as, you know, Twitter and then Instagram started, I definitely jumped over to to those platforms. And then ultimately to Instagram as sort of my main place, although I have a pretty active Facebook fan page as well. Um, although Facebook is, you know, a totally different kind of algorithm and um you know, platform, but, and have since, you know, abandoned Flickr as many people have. Yeah. So, but ultimately like my career was built on social media, starting with Flickr and blogging. I have had a blog, the blog I have now I've had since 2011. And then before that I had another blog, which I took down and then started fresh. Um, so, you know, I'm self-taught. I didn't go through the traditional channels to become, an artist either. And so I sort of built my career on my own ability to promote my work using, once I decided I wanted to make a living at it, um, I started to promote my work using these channels because they were free for the most part. And I figured out early on how to use them well. Um, since then millions of other people have figured out how to use them well, but, um, but I was, I was in it pretty early on. But see, this is what's so interesting to me. So you basically, your career now was based off of your work being posted on social channels, right? Yes. And like, even like the moment when you knew like, hey, like, I know I want to do this for real. Like I need to quit my job and I need to pursue this full time. Like, how did you prepare for that? And like, as it evolved and you started seeing like this bigger following, like, how did you adapt? Well, you know, it's funny. I look back now and I, it, I, I think I was, before we started recording, I was telling you that I had, you know, spent some time with Debbie Millman recently and she had interviewed me on her podcast and she was saying, you know, she was trying to argue that my, the rise of my career happened really quickly. And, um, I was like, no, it's forever, <laughs> you know, cause in your own mind, the stuff that you slog through, when you're trying to get from point A to point B feels like it takes so long. So for me, um, the adapting that you're, that you're asking about, like felt sort of like these natural, almost tortoise steps. Like I felt like I was moving really slowly, but when I look back now, I feel like Debbie's right. 
And you're right in asking the question, like, how did I adapt to these changes that were happened so quickly? Like I started painting and drawing in 2001 by 2004, I started a blog by 2007. I left my job. Like, yeah, that's actually kind of lightning speed in the grand scheme of things. Right. And, um, and I think that there were times when it probably felt really natural, like, oh, there's this way of sharing my work that I really enjoy. Um, I've always been kind of a natural blogger. Like I, I like writing about what I'm doing. I like writing. I like sharing things with other people. Um, Instagram's sort of been a natural place for me that feels like a really comfortable place. Um, but there are other aspects of that my career that have felt a little bit more clumsy and hard. So, um, you know, I think I, the really interesting thing about my, one of the interesting things about my story is that I sort of came of age as an artist around the time that social media was coming of age as a place for artists to share their work. Mm. And so I was growing my following and going through all of these transitions and adaptations to this new media at the same time that the new media was like coming out and being developed. So in some ways I didn't necessarily feel any more clumsy than anyone else out there using it because I was an early adopter and I was sort of in it trying to figure it out at the same time that a, that a lot of other people were and also that these platforms were starting and growing themselves. And so in some ways I feel like I've grown, I grew up with Flickr and then I, I grew up with, um, I grew up again with Instagram, you know, um, because I joined these platforms pretty early on and started using them regularly as a, as a way to promote my work. So in some ways it all feels well, you know, clumsy from time to time. It was also sort of this natural relationship that I developed, um, and, you know, that helped me build my career and, now it feels easy. I remember back in the day, I would, I used to teach these business classes. This is maybe not back in the day, but a few years ago, I used to teach these business classes and I would tell my students. Um, so these were business classes for artists. And I, I talk a lot about using social media smartly. And, um, I was telling my students about how in the beginning, I used to always feel like a pimp, <laughs> like pimping my own work. Like, um, like I was both the prostitute and the pimp. Like that's a horrible analogy. But like, <laughs> Look what I made today. Buy what I made today. Look what I made today. Yeah. You know? Like um, I was always like trying to put my work in the eye, in front of the eyes of other people and that it felt really horrible, like, like um, to have to do that. Right. But then over time, I realized that the people that on social media, people sign up to follow you. No one's forced to follow you. Right. And so if anyone gets tired of me saying, look what I made today, um, here it is for sale. Um, they can leave. Right. And so I just sort of found this place where I was comfortable sharing and promoting my work and then slowly built a following of people who were interested in hearing about what I was making every day and listening to my stories and seeing pictures of, um, what I had created. So, you know, I, I got comfortable with that and now I don't feel that way. I don't feel like a pimp at all, but in the beginning, that's how I felt because it's not a natural thing as a human being to constantly draw attention to what you're doing to build your career. You know, in the old days, artists and designers had reps and, you know, gallerists and, 
people who did that selling for them, right? They, other people promoted you. That's how you made it. And in this day and age with the internet, you do it for yourself for the most part. And that's a great thing because you have more control, but it also means you have to work harder at like pimping yourself basically. Yeah. I mean, and in the same way, like staying on top of it and like drawing that line, right? Like there are some people that Snapchat and such, right? That you literally see every part of their day when they're shaving, when they're, you know, on their <laughs> commute. Like, it's like, I don't need to know that much about you. Like, right. I don't, exactly. Yeah. And I think everybody's got to feel, get to the place where like, what is it that I want to exactly. share? I'm not even on Snapchat, but, um, oddly, cause I am on most other social media platforms and I, but I, I, I feel like there's part of me at, at this point that I, like I said, I've become really like, Nobody, not everybody needs to know everything about my life or my art practice or what I'm working on. You know, I'm going to be, I've gotten to, into a flow of what I feel like is appropriate to share every day, but you know, everybody's, um, bandwidth for that or boundaries around that is, are, are different. And the good news is in social media, we can follow who we want and not follow exactly people if they're annoying. So yeah, you have the choice. It's true. So do you want to talk a little bit about your blog? Um, Today is going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I started it, well, this blog um, in 2011. And what's interesting is I had a blog before and then my career started to take off around 2010. And my, the blog that I had had was really old and I had really old work and content on it. And I started to freak out because I was like, oh, I'm becoming a more well-known artist. I don't necessarily want all this old work and, you know, stuff on the internet. So I took it down in a sort of state of panic and I didn't have a blog for a while. And then I missed it because I really do love blogging. And so I started another blog and instead of having it be my name, I just called it today's going to be awesome. Cause that's sort of how I try to start every day. And it started off as more a place where I was like, well, I'm just going to post pictures of my work and things that I'm working on. It's going to be purely professional, but it really morphed into way more than that, including personal essays, um, about my life, about, you know, being gay, about my marriage, about all kinds of things. It became this platform where I could just sort of be myself in all of the ways that I am me, um, and not just the art, the artist part of me. And that's actually what made the blog become really popular. Um, and so I don't regret it now, but, um, and I'm the older I get, the more comfortable I get sort of sharing my personal stories on my blog. Like, I'm not going to share, share pictures of myself, um, in the bathtub. On Instagram. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some people do that, but I will write a story about, you know, I like to be queer on my blog. So like, you know, I tend to be a little bit, get a little more personal in writing than I do in photos. I mean, yeah, to each their own. That's, that's, yeah. that's where I'm going to leave and it. My up. blog is the place that I do that. And so it's kind of like the, the landing place for all of my new content, you know, where my, my professional website is, you know, you go there for information. You can look at my portfolio, you can see what classes I'm teaching you, but you know, my blog is the place where you can get the most current information about what I'm working on and what I'm thinking about. I don't have as much time to write as I used to, cause now I actually write books, but, um, but there's a lot of writing on my blog and a lot of, you know, thinking about both professional and personal topics. Um, yeah. I actually want to talk a little bit about, um, how you started kind of getting involved in the writing and the illustrating of books. Like, um, like how did that kind of evolve? Like, 
did someone, you know, did you, did you start writing first? Did you start illustrating first? Was that a combo? Well, it's interesting. I, um, I never really thought of myself as quote, a writer, but I was always an artist and illustrator from the moment I became a professional person that, you know, like a self-employed creative person. That's how I identified as my career was taking off. Like I, I became a, like I left my job in 2007. So I've been a freelance artist for almost 10 years, but in the beginning, you know, I wasn't writing a whole lot on my blog. And then in around 2011, um, my career started to take off and I decided to start this new blog. And pretty quickly I got bored with just posting photos of the stuff I was making. And I felt like, oh, this is actually a place where when I'm pissed off about something, I can write a story. Or if I'm wondering about a topic that's really bothering me, I can put it out there. And, um, or if I'm celebrating something, I can write about that. And so I just started writing without thinking I'm a writer. And so my blog became this place where I found my voice as a writer, definitely. That said, um, meanwhile, I'm like also becoming a book illustrator <laughs> at the time, mostly for other people's books, right? So I illustrated a couple of children's books and I illustrated some cookbooks and I illustrated this um, volume of Gertrude Stein poetry, which was like this kind of, um, turning point in my career that I got hired to, you know, to do this amazing project for Chronicle Books and illustrating Tender Buttons, which is one of Gertrude Stein's most famous, um, bodies of work. And so meanwhile, I'm doing these personal projects on the side. So in 2010, I did this project called a collection a day where I photographed, um, you know, one of my crazy collections of weird things. Oh yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yep. And then, um, and then in 2012, I did this project called 365 days of hand lettering, which ended up turning into two different books. And then in 2013, I did this project with Maria Popova called the reconstructionist, which is about women from history who really, reconstructed or reshaped history. And so that never became a book by choice on both our parts. But, you know, I was doing all these personal projects and it was really the personal projects that led to the first set of books that I published. And then I also was asked by Chronicle to write a book about making a living as an artist. And at first I was like, and it's called Art Inc. And at first I was like, what? on earth are you asking me for? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I made this up as I went along and they were like, that's exactly why we want you to cast yeah. because you're, you've been successful at, at using social media and doing things in a way that aren't sort of traditional ways to make a living as an artist. And so, or you've combined different income streams. And so I accepted the, the charge and wrote the book and I'm really love the book now and I'm proud of it and so glad that I did it. But it was kind of a challenge because I had to think through like, what is it that I did to get to where I am now? And codifying that felt a little overwhelming. So I that published that book. And since then I have um, published another book, which is a combination of both writing and illustration called The Joy of Swimming. It's a book all about the, the joy of swimming, essentially. I'm a former swimmer. Um, both competitive and recreational swimming. And then um, I'm working on a book now that's about women over 40 who are, have either hit the apex of their careers later in life or doing amazing things in an older age. Are, so you, are you working on anything else at all? I'm just kidding. Yeah, lots of other things, unfortunately. <laughs> oh my God. Well, fortunately or unfortunately. 
And I have a contract for a children's book that is um, that is going to be about the first ladies of the United States. So ah. I I like love making books. And so to answer your question, I kind of fell into it first by illustrating other people's books, then by having publishers come to me and say, we love these personal projects you're working on, or we want you to write this book about based on your experience as an artist making, making a living in like a business book. And then I started like pitching my own ideas to the publisher, which are the last couple of books that I've written or I'm working on. Um, and so that's mostly what I do now is make books. But if you had asked me eight years ago, if that were going to be the case, I would have, or what what I have self-identified as a writer in addition to an artist and illustrator at the time, I would have said no way, (laughs) but it just goes to show you, you never know what's going to happen in your career. Like, it's so true. It's going to evolve or what things you're going to end up working on. And, you know, my, I started off mostly as a fine artist and not an illustrator, like making original works and having shows and galleries and things. And while I love doing that, and I'm trying to keep that part of my art practice alive in some way by having a show every few years, I also, you know, I don't have all the time in the world. And so it's hard to fit all of the things I love to do into my schedule. Yes. Which leads to my next question. So, even then, when this was just sort of a side project, right, or you were working on multiple side projects, how did you manage your time? Well, um, very strategically, I I happen to be one of those um, right brain people who's also also super left brained. Like I, I'm I'm creative and visual, and I always have been. Like even before I became an artist, I was like always wanted to redecorate my bedroom once a week when I was, you know, 12 or, you know, I've always been a super visual person, but I've also always been really organized. Um, and, um, so that balance has like helped me to manage my work. I also have this insane, you know, I will not turn anything late, um, (laughs) um, thing, which I'm getting better at because actually most of the time in the world of illustration, they give you a deadline, but, it's kind of a fake deadline. Really, you have more time than you think. And I'm starting to learn that. So I'm, I have less, I'm putting less pressure on myself to turn everything in exactly on time, but I keep a lot of spreadsheets. I, for years when I was managing my, my work and my workflow by myself, which ended, which stopped a, a, a year and a half ago, I stopped work. I had somebody come in and help me manage my business. But up until that time, I couldn't afford to pay anyone. I hadn't like hit the tipping point of enough income to pay somebody to help me basically manage my schedule and answer my emails and keep me organized and do the work that I didn't have time to do. And so I did it all myself. I worked long days, kept lots of lists and spreadsheets, just uh, worked really hard on like figuring out the right workflow for my days and getting things done. And, and then I was lucky enough about a year and a half ago, I moved to Portland, Oregon from San Francisco. And at the time my wife was <clears throat> ready to leave her job, which is part of why we moved. And we were like, well, why don't you just come help me manage my business for a while while you figure out what the next step in your life is? Cause she wasn't really sure what she wanted to do. And, um, so for a year, Clay came in and, and sort of like, and she was at the time I couldn't have trusted anyone but her to sort mm-hmm. of dig into my email and help. She really understood my business on a deep level, so I didn't have to train her at all. She just sort of stepped in, and she came from a marketing background, so she 
helped me in innumerable ways. And she's a really amazing project manager. And so she sort of set up my business for somebody to manage me. And then she decided she wanted to go back to school to get her real estate license. That's what she wanted to do. And at that time, I hired Kristen, who's my studio manager now. And then she trained Kristen to sort of step in and do all the things she had set up. And Kristen's incredibly skilled, came to me from a branding agency where she was a project manager. And so she's like super organized and great at managing things. And she has her master's degree in publishing. So she also is really familiar with the world of making books. And so I got this amazing pack from my current studio manager. So I have to say that now how I, how I get it all done is the fact that I have like a full time, practically a full time employee. Um, she's not quite full time yet, but we're, we're working towards that. It makes all the difference in the world to have somebody work for you, who you trust, who can, you know, help you with every aspect of what you do except the creative part, which is, I mean, she still, she helps me brainstorm ideas and she definitely does writing and editing for me, but I still have to make all the artwork. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And I think that's what's two things that you said there, like you have to be able to trust whoever, you know, you're working with and really like love the team and also have them like understand your vision. Right. Yes. You know, for me, like, you know, it's not just close to home, you know, plus probably many of our listeners as well. Like, we're working on many side projects, right? Yes. Like whether it's, you know, whether you love your job during the day or not, like a lot of people are stimulated by these outside projects that sometimes do evolve into careers. Paint projects, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's super exciting. I mean, even for me with the podcast, it's like something that like I'm learning as I go, right? And it's like, I even wish there was almost like a class, like from a book or something from like people that have done this, like, like kind of like what you're saying, how they interview, interviewed for that book, because you kind of just figured it out as you went, because, you know, especially in this time with social and things like that, I think it's so important to learn from people that are actually like self-made and they didn't study business or they didn't study art or they didn't study design or whatever cooking or whatever field you're in. You know, it, right. it, it offers that like unique perspective and like no system necessarily works for everybody. But I think like just understanding how these creative people that have multiple side projects on top of like other responsibilities, whether it's a family, a full time job, et cetera. I think it'd be so useful to learn, like, how did they do that? How did they manage their time? Like, like even down to the nitty gritty of like, did they use, you know, like apps Did they have to do lists that they wrote out, you know, like these little things and then applying it to my own like kind of yes. practice. Yeah. It's super helpful because I think it's not something you teach you in school, this sort of time management or career management. I think in some careers, I know like right now my wife is just finishing up real estate school. I mean, she's licensed, but she's been in school. And I was like, what was class about today? And she's like, time management. And I'm like, they teach you that <laughs> you know, or whatever. And for artists and creative people, nope. I think it's starting yeah. to become part of curriculums, this professional practice or how to write a professional email, the importance of being professional and what does that mean, how to organize your time. But for the most part, they teach you how to become a good artist and how to think critically and how to draw and paint. But And those are all amazing skills. But if you're going to make a living at something, you have to have that sort of, you know, your, your stool has to have that third leg, which is understanding all of the other aspects of running a business. And I feel like because I didn't start until I was in my late thirties, by the time I actually made this a business at that point, I had had years of working with clients, of course, in a completely different field, but 
managing projects, um, working with colleagues. I understood the importance of email communication and being professional and positive and all of those things. And so in some ways, my relationships with whatever clients I did get in the beginning of my career went really well because I had this skill set that maybe, uh, maybe now I'm not saying all 22 year old fresh out of school illustrators don't have these skills because many of them do. There's a lot of smart young people out there who intuitively understand how to run a creative business. But I feel like there's probably also a bunch of people who don't know. Yeah. They haven't had any life experience. And, you know, in some ways I had a leg up because I was older, I was mature, I was responsive. Like I said, I made my deadlines on time. And those clients hired me again or referred me to other people or, you know, so that, um, I think really helped my career to sort of evolve pretty quickly once I started. And, you know, as much as I would often wish, oh, I wish I was 20 years younger. Like I feel so old, you know, I also was grateful for all of the life experience and work experience that I had because, you would think, how would being a project manager at a nonprofit organization help me become a good professional artist? It helped me tremendously. And I didn't even realize in the beginning how much. I would believe that for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's funny though, looking back on it, right? Because like you probably never even thought you'd end up on the path that you're on now, but yet no, you're using true. the skills from that other no. career. Fact, so I remember like having this weird sense of not guilt, but like, I don't know, you know, I spent half of my life just working in this field and building all these skill and relationships and doing all this. And I remember when I, I decided to leave it behind and go pursue a, a career as an artist, I remember thinking like, gosh, I hope that wasn't a waste. Or I, I had this weird feeling of like separation anxiety from like my former life. I had no idea. Cause I think in my head, I was like, artists sit at drawing tables all day and draw and, you know, listen to classical music and drink tea. I didn't like, I would say 10% of my time is looks like that. Most of my time is spent project managing, communicating with clients, like all the stuff I did in my former job, but I had no idea how all of those skills were going to play in to what I do every day now. And I'm so grateful for that, but I had no idea in the beginning. So I have a question. Yeah. How was it working with your wife or do you still work together? She's she still manages my contracts because she's really good at that. And I, I used to have an illustration agent for many years. So I decided to leave her because I was like, you know, most of the work I was, I had built my own brand and we agreed that it didn't make sense for me to be subsumed under my agent's brand when I had sort of built this career for myself. And so it was a very amicable parting, but I still, it's really important at a certain point point in your illustration career. And I would imagine this is true for graphic designers too, to not have to talk to clients about money yeah. directly. Like it's really good to have a person to do that for you, whether it's an agent or a contracts manager or a, a studio manager or somebody so that those conversations can be kind of about the money and not personal. And so when Clay took over for that year to sort of help transition me into having an employee, she got really good at the contract negotiation and the money conversations because she cares a lot about me and my business, but it, she was not afraid to ask for what she thought I deserved. And so in that way, she was like, and that was part of the job that she loved. Um, and she still loves. And so she still does that, but pretty much everything else, um, has, you know, been shifted over to my studio manager. Clay and I loved working together on many, um, fronts, when it, when we first started, we, we went through this kind of honeymoon phase of like, <laughs> she had always been working at an office 
And we moved to Portland before we bought the house we live in now. We were living in this tiny apartment where we were both working every day. It was the first time in her life she'd ever been self-employed. And so every day we'd get up and we'd be like, okay, we're going to go to work. And we'd like go to the dining room table, which was the quote office (laughs) in the apartment. And she'd sit down at her computer. I'd sit down at my computer or my drawing table or whatever. And we'd work and we'd talk about things. And then we'd break for lunch and we'd take turns of who was going to make lunch. And it was really fun for about three months. Yeah. Then we bought a house. We moved into the house. And then there was like, all of a sudden it became real. Like this is our life. And Clay is this really outgoing person. And she was the former director of marketing at California College of the Arts. And she had always managed a team of people and had colleagues and been in team meetings and brainstormed with people. And then it was all of a sudden her life was like me all day. Yeah. Um, And I was building a studio on our property, but it, it took a long time to be finished. So we were like essentially working together inside this house. And she realized that while the work was somewhat interesting to her, she really missed having a career where she could, you know, interact with people and feel a sense of agency about something that was completely her own. And so my business really thrived as when she was my business partner and when she was helping me with my business. But at the same time, I think she didn't, wasn't getting everything she needed to feel like a full, complete, happy person. And so we decided you've given this a try. And actually all of the things, systems and structures that she set up for my business created the foundation for me to be able to hire a studio manager from the outside And so I don't think of that year as a waste at all. I think of it as an important year for our relationship and for her. But she ended up moving on, going to get her real estate license. And now she's practicing real estate and loving it and still manages my contracts on the side. But we we just did it for nine months to a year. And then she transitioned out and I hired Kristen. And it's much better for our marriage, I have to say. (laughs) Because we would sit down at night, Janine, and be like, okay, we're supposed to talk about something else besides work. But it's what we had both been doing all day. And it was like my work, like the same. And that wasn't so healthy. And um, when do you turn it off? Exactly. Like there's that fine line. We we had to turn it off, but we didn't exactly know how. And it got complicated. And that's part of why we decided also, in addition to her need to sort of be out in the world more, that was another reason why we knew that she needed to go off and do something else. So it's great. I, I'm so happy with how everything has sort of morphed over the last year. It was a great experience. We'll never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just much better for it. So, yeah, I mean, but I think there's like, you know, the other side to it too. Like maybe she's not, you know, working with you, but I'm sure you guys are brainstorming, collaborating and she knows my business so well. And so like, she's still my chief advisor. I suppose I should call her my contracts manager which, you know, is only, she's only does when I have a contract, which is maybe once a, once a, every two weeks I have something new. Sometimes it's a month or more before I have any kind of new work that has to be go through her. But, you know, but she's really my chief advisor. Like any big decision I have in my business, any opportunity that comes my way that I'm not sure I want to embark on or not, you know, anything that I do, I run by her. And so in some ways she'll always, be part of what I do. And I'm so grateful for that. Like it, it makes me, you know, being a creative person is a, can be feel like a very lonely existence. And it's so nice to have 
now I have my studio manager, Kristen, who's also incredibly intuitive and warm and easy to talk to. And so I've got two people now who I can run things by and bounce things off of and complain to and celebrate with where for many years it was just me. Like even when I was in a relationship with Clay, like she was off at work doing her thing every day and didn't, and we, you know, we didn't necessarily talk about what I did very much. And, and that's really shifted now. And it's so helpful for me. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Just having that support and especially like just having someone that shares a passion of some kind. And especially when it has to do with what you're both doing, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that in any way being a part of the LGBT community has affected or influenced your career in either a positive or negative way? I don't know about my career, but what I do know is that I've always been out, even when I was an elementary school teacher. What? Oh, I, oh they're going to say when you were in elementary school. I was no, like, no, no. wow. I was, <laughs> I was an elementary school teacher when I was, so I came out when I was 22, um, right after college. And so I've been out now for however many years that is. I'm 48. Initially, my first job, I was, I was, I worked in San Francisco. So this was a place where there was like an organization for gay teachers in San Francisco, even in the nineties when I started. And I was in very supportive environments where I could be out with, you know, other teachers or there were other gay teachers at the schools where I taught. And San Francisco is, um, the, San Francisco Unified School District was this really, really progressive place. And so that sort of, I think, laid the groundwork for my, you know, being out. Then when I went to work for an education nonprofit for eight years, um, I also, you know, was very open about my sexuality. Um, And so then when I became a professional artist and started blogging, um, it just was sort of felt like a natural, it's, it's not something I've ever hidden even in times when it felt hard. So I've always, you know, I've never hidden who I'm in a relationship with. I've never, and I've never shied away from hiding any part of my life. And then in fact, I've ended up writing about and making art related to, especially in the last few years, because so much has happened in our community. You know, I've made, you know, that being an LGBT artist is like, become part of who I am in a way that it it wasn't like, I've always been out, but I feel like in the last five years, it's become, you know, because of marriage equality and, you know, all of the, the political landscape, especially in the United States. Um, like I did work for, um, toast to marriage campaign, which is, um, sponsored by the human rights campaign. I've done my own sort of writing and art making around marriage equality. And, and that's been super gratifying for me. So I, it it hasn't done anything, but, but, but help. I've, I've, I've of course experienced homophobia um, and, um, had, have had a couple really negative experiences. One of which I I wrote about on my blog, um, which I tried to turn into a positive experience, but, but for the most part, I've, you know, it's just sort of like part of who I am and what I do. And I experience occasional homophobia, but for the most part, people are enormously, my followers mm-hmm. are enormously supportive and accepting. I, Damn. In fact, I Damn. just, yeah, this, I, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I just, um, a few weeks ago was my three year wedding anniversary. And I posted this 
photo of, of Clay and I at our wedding and it got more likes on a photo than I've ever gotten on Instagram before, like by, by a thousand. And that just to me, like goes to show you how much, you know, I I know that the people who follow me are probably for the most part, not, not necessarily gay by any stretch. I think, you know, many of them are from middle America, but you know, of course my followers probably tend to be more progressive. So I'm not saying it's like a cross section of America, but it is very heartening how much support I have on the internet and how relatively considering how, how out I am and how much I write and post about my sexuality, how relatively little homophobia I've experienced. Um, and I have experienced some, but really it's, it's been an overall positive experience for me. Yeah. I was getting all worked up over here. I was gonna I was going to say, damn right. They better be like yeah. at the end of the day, like, I don't know. It's something that it's just always in my head. It's like, it's like, we're all just people. We all have like, you know, like let us all just be and the world will just be a better, you know, it's like the fact that they like your work and they should respect you and like, you you know what I mean? It should go full circle. And that, and it's great that, you know, maybe you've even made more people open-minded and you don't even know that. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I have, so one thing happened recently that was pretty incredible. I received an email from a young woman who is somewhere in the South in the United States and she's 16 and she wrote me this long email, how following me on Instagram and reading my blog has literally like saved her life and her that I give her a different picture of what it is to be gay um, because she knows she's gay. Right. And so she's like terrified because she lives in, she's parents are like right wing Christians. She's, she can't be out you know, she has to, she can't even leave home for two more years until she goes to college and she's terrified. But also at the same time, I give her hope for what her life can become because in her real world, like outside of online, she has no pictures for what her life could look like. And that's, I think one of the beautiful things about the internet is that queer kids can now easily find pictures of what it looks like to live a normal life, just like anybody else. And that was like the most heartening email. And I wrote her back, of course, and, and gave her all kinds of encouragement and, and we've been corresponding, but that I, I remember like, that's why it's important for me to be who I am. That's why, you know, even if it's one, you know, that's one kid who wrote me an email, but she was brave enough to like write me an email but how many other kids are there or other women out there who, or men even who, who are older and who are questioning, I'm just this real person who has a normal life and, um, and actually is, in, you know, loved by me. my work is loved by many. And, and I think that's an important thing for people to see. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's funny. I mean, that's essentially why the podcast evolved, right? Like, it's essentially for youth or anyone that's like coming out later on in life or even just people that don't understand like what it's like to be gay, you know, or like people just have these like perceptions of like, oh, it's like, no, like we go through X, Y, and Z. And like, I don't know, it's just creating that awareness and like just 
keeping like, and it's great. Like the, the point is that that one girl did actually reach out to you. She had the courage and like, there could be millions of more that don't, but at least they're able to like look at things, whether it's as simple as an Instagram or a blog post or whatever it is and to keep them going and keep them motivated and to feel comfortable who they are in their own shoes. Exactly. I mean, it's funny because on the one hand, we do experience life differently and, you know, our, our filter, I, I could pass as a street person cause I'm pretty feminine. Um, but when I'm with my wife, I can't, you know, and like she can't, um, there's no sort of hiding who she is. And so, you know, I think that what most, a lot of people don't understand is the way that we walk through the world is especially outside of these sort of places like New York city and Portland and San Francisco is actually really, really different. I mean, that's changing, but it's, but it's really different. That's the one side of it. The other side of it is that we're actually just like everybody else. Like I wrote this blog post once when marriage equality was in question and before the ruling. And I was like, here's the irony. My life is just as boring as yours. I get up every day, you know, Yeah. um, and I like go to the gym and then I do my laundry and then I like take a shit and then I do this. Like there's nothing different or extraordinary about my life as a gay person. Like we're just like you. We just want to live our normal, boring lives. Actually, um, just let us do that as married people. Exactly. And, um, so on the one hand, our lives are different for sure. Um, because of discrimination, exactly. but on the other hand, our lives are no different than anybody else's on a sort of basic level. And so we should be afforded the same rights as everybody else. Cause just, we're just as boring as everybody else. That's what I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> now I think we're a little bit more exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're more fun on the dance floor, but you know, we won't get into that. So. <laughs> oh my God. This has been so good, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on. You're, you're welcome. I mean, we could go on. I'm telling you every time I do an interview, <laughs> I'm like, I need to do like series with each of my guests because like there's just so much more to tell, right? There is. Well, and that's the thing. I think like, you know, especially I found when I've talked to other queer artists, there's the layer of being a creative person. And then there's the layer of like what our life experience brings to that. And that's a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's so. it's awesome. So if our listeners want to find you um, on the web, email, whatever you're comfortable sharing. You can shout a few of them out and I'll also link them um, when we do post it on the website. Okay. Well, my main, the main place to find me is my website, which is lisacongdon.com. And on there, you can find a link to my shop, my online shop, my blog. And then on my blog, there's like a treasure trove of, of things on there. And I also there's all kinds of links on my website to classes that I teach and whatnot. And then you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Lisa Congdon, one word. And, um, I have a Facebook fan page. That's, uh, Lisa Congdon art that you can link to that through my website too. So those are sort of my main places that I hang out. Um, and my email, if people want to email me, I love getting emails. So my emails, of course, on my website as well. Awesome. And I'll just spell your name out just in case. It's L-I-S-A-C-O-N-G-D-O-N. Much easier. They can just type it in. (laughs) Google me. Yes, exactly. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Naked and Inside Out. If you have any comments, feedback, inquiries, feel free to email us, hello at nakedandinsideout.com. You can get through, uh, you know, to the website, 
www.nakedandinsideout.com. You can find our Insta, Twitter, Facebook, all those links there. And we also have a phone number, which I'll add in later because I don't have it off the top of my head, but you can call us and leave a message and we'll get back to you. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.